Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Thursday. It is September 28th. It's a game day Thursday. There's a divisional battle uh, in Lambeau Field tonight for Thursday night football between the Lions and the Packers. Bob had a conversation with Tim Twentyman of Lions. Chatting all things Lions. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. It's also part of one of our poll questions today that we'll get to in just a minute. But uh, I want to also highlight the fact that the Suns made news yesterday as part of a three-team trade. So we'll find out what's happening uh, involving that trade, how that impacts the Phoenix Suns, how that impacts the NBA. As I catch up with Dan Favale of Bleacher Report around 10.15 today, we'll make room for you 10.30 and 11. 15. The number to call is 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Phone calls 1030 and 1115 today. Without further ado, let's get into the poll questions here. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which involves the Suns. Are the Suns closer to winning their first ever NBA championship because DeAndre Ayton is gone. No continues to lead the way here at 78% of the vote. Yes is trailing at 22%. It's gotten a little tighter in the last hour. Um, I predicted uh, the complete opposite of this yesterday. I did some Portland radio yesterday, and they get the they wanted my uh, perspective on Ayton. Uh, and uh, they, you know, I, well, actually, they knew that uh, maybe they didn't know that I'm like the only supporter that Aiton has had in this uh, in Maricopa County for the last five years. Uh, but uh, you know, I thought that uh, this would be uh, heavily on the other side of things because it seems like the only thing I've done in the last five years is listen to people bitch about DeAndre Aiton. Yeah, this is kind of interesting here, but I'm wondering if it has more to do with uh, Nurkic, which is coming in return. And uh, we'll dive into some of his stats here in just a minute here. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get. By to- the way, the people in Portland are very happy that he's gone. Apparently, so I got that. I definitely got that feeling yesterday. Good to note. Uh, we'll dive into a little bit about his stats, stats and then, of course, get Dan Favale's perspective here around 10:15. But let's toss it on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060 with Thursday Night Football. Who wins tonight in Green Bay, the Lions or the Packers? Uh, the Lions are out in front here at 58.3% of the vote, Packers trailing at 41.7%. Big, big point spread shift on this game in the last, like, 45 minutes or so. Uh, it was one, one and a half yesterday and some this morning. It is pretty much two everywhere. Uh, right now at the Lions, the road favorite. I'm not sure if anything's happened this morning. I don't know if any of the insiders have reported anything in the last 45 minutes about who may play or may not play because there's some guys on each team that are questionable, officially questionable. Uh, cause I was doing the sports zone in the last hour, but 
Definitely a shift in the market in the last 45 minutes or so. Well, that's interesting. From this morning here, you did have, I believe it was reports from Tom Pellicero that uh, had the fact that uh, David Bakhtiari was going to be out for the Packers. Uh, You also then had, in terms of the Lions, uh, Emmanuel Mosley is going to be out. But then you also had, um, it looks like, uh, for the Lions, then you also had David Montgomery in and Taylor Decker in. Yeah, but we knew, with the exception of Mosley, and I don't think Mosley's going to you know, shift the market, but uh, the offensive line injuries in Montgomery, we pretty much knew all that yesterday, so I'm a little baffled as to why the market has changed this morning. We'll dive into that question, answer it around 11.30. Plenty of time for you to still cast your vote over on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, So as we had got things started here with the NBA trade from yesterday, just a bit of a reset so we know who's going where and what's happening. The Blazers in this three-team trade between the Blazers, the Suns, and the Bucks, the Blazers are getting Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara, they're also getting the Bucks 2029 first round pick, and they're also getting Bucks draft swaps in 2028 and 2030. The Suns, as part of this three team trade, are getting Joseph Nurkic, Nasser Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen, and the Bucks are getting Damian Lillard. If we uh, take a step back and remember the uh, change in direction for the Phoenix Suns, bringing in Frank Vogel and his press conference here, he, of course, was asked about DeAndre Ayton and how he was going to kind of unlock uh, DeAndre Ayton's potential and capabilities here and what he was most looking forward to and how to deploy him. And uh, a lot of the words that he used uh, often that came to mind to me were restoring Ayton to his all-star level, restoring him in terms of being an anchor on the defensive end and obviously we're not going to get to see that now because of this trade before the season is getting started enter juice uh Nurkic so what do we know about Nurkic he's 29 years old he started his career in Denver in 2014 he has been with Portland since the 2016-2017 season his career 24.2 minutes per game 12.3 points per game shooting 50.2 percent from the floor 8.6 rebounds per game. He did have a pretty bad uh, leg break back in March of 2019, so he missed a lot of the 2020 season and uh, has been working his way back in terms of uh, recovering from from that and getting back into shape and playing time. He has had other uh, health related things so he has not played a full season in his time uh, with Portland since that uh, injury in 2019. Yeah, as far as uh, from what I heard yesterday, he does uh, not uh, give full effort all the time, and that seems to be what one of the problems, at least in the people's mind, the fans' mind especially, uh, one of the reasons they never really uh, shifted their affection towards Aiton. So, in fact, uh, I'm not. This is not an exact quote from one of the hosts I talked to yesterday on Portland radio. But if people there didn't think that Aiton didn't play hard, they're not going to like Nurkic. 
Uh, some more things that I looked up about uh, Joseph Nurkic here in just terms of what you're going to be getting production-wise from him. I think it's fair to say that DeAndre Ayton far and away more athletic and the ceiling far higher than what you're getting from Joseph Nurkic. So how does it all kind of come together? Just numbers-wise, rim protection is obviously key. Nurkic allowed players to shoot 57.9% on him last season, according to NBA.com's data by second spectrum offensively here he shoots at the rim 63 percent per cleaning the glass that doesn't seem like an overly productive number uh, when most of your shots are coming from around the rim I think you wanted a little bit higher than 63 percent and then but the other thing that Nurkic can do here which I'm interested to see how it'll all be deployed is that he can facilitate an offense from the top of the key that should be able to help with floor spacing and and things of that nature just to mix up what the offensive looks are. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that's going to be totally irrelevant here because he's never going to have the ball. Uh, NBA championship odds, the Bucks plus 360, the Celtics plus 500, the Suns plus 550, the Nuggets plus 650 is the reigning champs, and the Lakers sitting at 12 to 1. So those are some of the updated L- L- odds. I apologize to interrupt there, but I want to make sure I get this one thing out about nobody in the world, especially in Portland, doesn't they holiday is not going to be a blazer. Probably by the time the season starts, Uh, he's a free agent at the end of the season. They're not going to sign him to a contract extension as good a player as he is. So he's going to be on another team and I assume a contending team uh, probably before the season begins. Yeah, I believe that as of yesterday, that was also part of Adrian Wojnarowski's reporting that the Blazers are not done yet, that they are looking into moving Drew Holiday uh, to a contending team. So that's at least what we have yet to expect. And we'll find out more from Dan Favale on the other side of the break as he'll join us from Bleacher Report. We'll get his perspective of how uh, and why things ended with DeAndre Ayton here in Phoenix. Also get his perception on what the Suns are going to get in Nurkic and how that all uh, comes together. But currently as well, the Suns have more than 15 players on the roster. You can have more than 15 players in the offseason, but they're going to have to make some decisions. So how all of this is going to work out what rotations could potentially look like plenty of things to get into in terms of the rest of the nba expectations now for damian lillard with the milwaukee bucks and then what does miami do now because they all summer long were linked to damian lillard as being one of the only teams that was having conversations they don't have damian lillard so where does miami turn we'll talk to dan favale on the other side of the break it is the extra point SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The NBA is making some headlines as the trade involving Damian Lillard, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Joseph Nurkic. All of it uh, is part of our conversation that we're going to be having with Dan Favale of Bleacher Report. So let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline now. Dan, it's Kayla. How are you today? Thanks for the time. 
Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Kayla? Doing fantastic. Uh, hopefully you can help us understand everything that took place yesterday and the implications for the teams moving forward. Uh, just as a refresher here to understand the trade that went down yesterday, Damian Lillard to the Bucks, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara to the Blazers, Yusuf Nurkic, Nasser Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen to the Suns. Let's, of course, start here locally with the Suns side of things. Aiton became a hot name to kind of blame around here in Phoenix. You had the extension situation two summers ago. You had his name popping up in trade rumors all this offseason before it finally took place. So was it just time to move on? Was the relationship unrepairable despite a new coaching staff? I do think that this hints at the relationship being kind of beyond repair just because they got rid of already not because of this, but I got rid of Monty Williams and Chris Paul, two people that everyone believed kind of graded on DeAndre Ayton or didn't have the best relationship with DeAndre Ayton. You brought in a new coach in Frank Vogel, who's been known for working well defensively with, with certain bigs, and so felt initially like the hope was, okay, maybe we can sort of reboot this. But I do believe, and further reporting might show this, that there's probably still just like a disconnect or a or a displeasure between both sides, just giving the, the timing uh, of all this and how close to training camp it actually is. And so the performance on the court absolutely had something to do with this. This makes the sun deeper. It breaks up some of his contracts and his contracts to the multiple players. But I think when you look at what they got back, a lot of this just felt like the Suns wanted to get out of the DeAndre Ayton business. So for the Suns, uh, what kind of player are they getting in Yusuf Nurkic? Uh, they're definitely giving up more athleticism at that position moving on from DeAndre Ayton, but can he give you big minutes? Or in some situations, does he become a liability on the defensive end? Uh, I mean, I think both are right. Uh, he will be able to give you minutes. I know he's had some injury problems, but some of that's been, you know, the Blazers haven't been great. They might have been shutting him down early in certain instances. Um, offensively, He's probably an upgrade at this point. Um, DeAndre Ayton, when he wants to be, is the much better rim runner, screener. Um, but Yusuf Nurkic can make better plays on the move when it comes to the passer. So he's going to give you a little bit more options on the short roll. Um, he's not a great finisher at the rim, but he is going to go up, not with more force, but he will go up around the basket more often than Ayton. So offensively, you look at what he shot from three last year. I think he made 40-plus threes. That should help open up the offense. Defensively is where it's going to get dicey, as you mentioned. I do think there will be many matchups where he will become a liability, certainly in crunch time, definitely in the postseason. We've seen him lose a couple steps. If you can put something in place where you're not asking him to cover as much ground, but the benefit of Aiton is you know, he regressed a lot, but he could still cover pretty effectively both ends of the pick and roll. You're not going to get that same mobility, that same effectiveness as a ceiling out of use of Nurkic, and so I am very interested to see you know, do we see Drew Eubanks get a lot of minutes in crunch time? Does Kamehameha Metu factor in? Or do we go to, we've seen everyone talk about Kevin Durant at the five, maybe in high leverage moments. And so that's absolutely something that this team does need to figure out. You know, the Suns, they have too many players right now on the roster for a 15-man roster. Uh, I am going to ask this question, and it, you know, I'm not asking you to be necessarily a predictor here, but when you do look at this team, uh, making these decisions ahead of when they have to finalize the 15-man roster, how do you see them kind of making those decisions about what players to move forward with and how best to kind of space the floor, attack it, and seeing those rotations come together? Yeah, I think, look, if you're someone like a Josh Akogi or a Kate of H.D. Op, um, I think you become, and even you don't want an obby, you become way more important to this team now 
um, because they're going to need more out of their perimeter defense. And so I think you start to look at guys like, okay, Keon Johnson comes over in the trade. He is super athletic, but he has not shown much at the NBA level. Do you keep him around? Um, Jordan Goodwin, you might just start monitoring, okay, he is kind of like maybe our fourth best ball handler or is it fifth best behind Eric Gordon? If you don't anticipate using him even as a regular season innings eater on offense, um, do you get rid of him except he provides you with a lot of defensive tenacity? I think everyone is fascinated with the the ball ball gamble, but I think he's immediately someone, if you don't think he could play you know, big minutes at the four or the five or hold up defensively, that's a name that you have to look at. So I think there are some... I don't want to say easily removable parts, but this is definitely a trade you make knowing that, hey, some of the guys that we thought we won um, when it came to the minimum contract game, they're not going to be here come opening night. Dan Favale of Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, when you look at this Suns team, this is remarkable. There is now only one player from the 2021 NBA Finals team, and that is Devin Booker. Obviously a philosophy change with new ownership in Matt Ishbia, new system coming in this year with head coach Frank Vogel, new players gelling together. Is it possible that this team kind of gets off to a slow start, putting all these pieces together, finding offensive rhythm, finding their defensive sets, et cetera. Uh, and overall, they're third in the odds standings, but what actually seems like a reasonable tempered expectation for this squad this year? Yeah, so they definitely could get off to a slow start whenever you're just incorporating so many new pieces and just new elements of your team. Because as you mentioned, like we're talking about new ownership. We're talking about a new coach. There's just so much stuff that goes into this. I think it helps a great deal that uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant already have familiarity with one another, and it helps a great deal that you get to go through a training camp. This wasn't all happening in the middle of the season or even in the middle of the preseason. So I do think that helps. It, to me, it looks like it's going to come down to what are they going to need to figure out on defense. They're going to have to test out certain lineup combinations. What do you use as your closing five? Who is your you know fourth and fifth most important player at this point? That's going to involve some searching, and I think the offense will just be nuclear enough. It can carry them on certain nights. But this might be a team that, I don't want to say punts on regular season games, but they might punt on some potential victories in the in the search for just self-discovery and knowing better about their rotations. And so being top three in championship odds, that feels pretty accurate to me. I think when you still look just at the ceiling of this team, assuming relatively good health, if you can have Beal, KD, and Booker on the floor in the postseason, the teams that I would put in front of them right now in the league, like guaranteed, I'd have Milwaukee, I would have Denver, and that is absolutely it. I think it is wide open after that, and I think the Suns should be the favorite to sort of take up that spot as the, the third in the, the pecking order of the championship contender ladder. You mentioned Milwaukee here. Let's flip it to that portion of this trade with Damian Lillard now. Uh, we heard all offseason long that he wanted to go to Miami. Here he is now in Milwaukee. Uh, you had at various points this summer as well, Giannis dropping hints about his future in Milwaukee as he wants to make sure he's a part of a team that's competing for championships. So what does bringing in Lillard do for the Bucks, and does this say uh, we are all in behind Giannis? Yeah, it definitely says that they're all in, and it's a monster move for the Bucks. And I think we got lost a little bit in the translation of the trade from the Bucks' perspective is just how good Drew Holiday is. Like, this is an all-star. This is someone who is an all-defense player. This is someone who appeared on some all-NBA ballots last year. He just did not have the off-the-dribble pick-and-roll playmaking or shooting that a Damian Lillard brings, who is one of the best all-time when it comes to that. And now you put Giannis in a role that's similar to when they won the title, where we saw him off ball a lot more. And now you're not able – it's not that you're just able to do that. It's that you're going to want 
to do that because Willard will open up the floor for you offensively a ton. I think the big question with this team, and they're undoubtedly, I think they should be the prohibitive favorites to come out of the East right now. The question with them is they don't really have a wing stopper anymore. They weren't too athletic on defense to begin with outside of Giannis. Now you get rid of Drew Holiday, who was the, the guy, despite being a guard, that you said, hey, go go defend that team's best player. You don't necessarily have that option anymore. And having Giannis and Brooke Lopez on the court at the same time, you should still be able to field a, a pretty good borderline elite defense. But when you start to stagger those two, um, what sort of happens there? What happens in the playoffs when you're going up against elite wings? And that's a question they have to answer. But I think without question, they have measurably increased their their championship odds, not just this season, um, but assuming that Giannis is going to extend looking you know, two, three years down the line as well. Also sticking here with the Bucks, they made a change uh, bringing in head coach Adrian Griffin. So what kind of differences can we expect with this team versus a Budenholzer team uh, with Adrian Griffin now at the helm? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in the offense just because Damian Lillard is there. And so I already mentioned that maybe we'll see more of Giannis off ball as a screener. I think we'll start to see some different stagger patterns. Maybe we'll see Giannis and Chris Middleton playing a lot with bench units, and then you'll have um, Damian Lillard and Brooke Lopez leading other bench units. I'm very interested to see how this team does defensively. They figured out for a lot of last season how to still sort of wall off the rim while not allowing the highest quality of threes. Uh, will Adrian Griffin have them be more aggressive on defense, though, trying to force turnovers as sort of a way to say, hey, we're kind of lacking in talent defensively on the perimeter could try to create some extra opportunities in transition or end possessions early while it's a gamble. Is that a way to sort of offset that? And so I'm very just fascinated to see the chess pieces that get moved around by him on defense because I think that's where this team materially has changed the most looking back to last season. One more here on the Bucks side of things. You touched on Chris Middleton. Uh, we've seen it before with this Bucks team that Chris Middleton's health ends up playing a huge role into how far this team can go. So how does the combination of bringing in Damian Lillard maybe uh, negate the huge need of Chris Middleton, but also when he is healthy, how does that just change how this Bucks team is viewed? Well, I think... I think it changes because now he is just unquestionably your second most important ball handler. He's your third most important player, but before he was your most important ball handler, the guy that you would probably trust to run a two-man game with Giannis in crunch time over uh, over Drew Holiday. Now that responsibility goes to Dame. So just sort of nudging him off of that responsibility just makes him more effective by virtue of, oh, now Chris Middleton's kind of this accessory on certain sets in the half court. And I think even when he's healthy, look, we saw he caught he got a little bit of it back in the playoffs offensively, um, and he looked great. And now just imagine that as the third option on the team rather than the second or sometimes sort of the, the 1B. He might have to get a little bit used to maybe taking some more catch-and-shoot jumpers, which is not something he's had to do in absurdly high volume, but he's a talented enough player to do that. I think the bigger question here, and this always would have been the question, is what's he going to look like on defense? He's coming off of another knee procedure, I believe. He slips on that end definitely last year. And you and I have already talked about how they've lost defensive talent. The responsibility on his shoulders might uptick if you're not going to have Giannis covering these premier perimeter defenders. It's either going to be him or a Pat Connaughton or, or maybe a Jay Crowder. And so I'm very interested to see how he fares 
on the defensive end this year. Dan Favale, Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So Miami, they wanted to get Damian Lillard. Uh, the packages frequently surrounded Tyler Hero, who is now going to be entering his four-year $120 million extension. Where does all of this leave Miami now? They did draft Jaime Jaquez, which a lot of people love the fit for him with Miami. But otherwise, they didn't really make a lot of massive moves uh, from one year ago. Yeah, I mean, they're at a talent deficit. They lost two rotation players in Struis and Gabe Vincent for nothing. And so they can point to how they've made the finals in three of the past four years or or whatever it's been. But, like, this team is worse on paper than it was last year. Jimmy Butler's another year older. Kyle Lowry's another year older. Having a fully healthy Tyler Hero, that should go a long way. Um, but I don't understand the theory of this team as a contender right now. And they sort of turned on the Jets when it came to the postseason. Maybe they have more of that magic left in them, but... Their same weaknesses remain. They don't have that frontline partner for Bam Adebayo that they know they can trust in high-stakes moments. And just the half-court offense feels like it's still going to be a slog. I know people have mentioned them as a potential Drew Holiday suitor, and I think he covers up some of their issues. But, like, Tyler Hero is the better off-the-dribble shooter than Drew Holiday. And so you could argue, probably correctly, that Tyler Hero is the more important playoff offensive player. And so if you still have to go concoct a three-team trade where you're giving up some of the assets you were going to give up to get game, how much of an upgrade is that actually? Is your offense still going to be a slog? And so I think this team, you know, you mentioned losing out on Dame. They had Giannis on their board too as well. And so you kind of lose two birds right there. I'm very interested to see if they look at any other type of moves on the market beyond Drew Holiday. But right now, as we've seen with the names out there, there's not a whole lot to choose from. And so I could see this team taking a monster step back, not just in the regular season, but when you look at their postseason stock, unless they're able to go out there and get either another shot creator or just a really high-end front-court player to pair with Bam Adebayo. The other storyline that we've been paying attention to all summer long is what's happening with James Harden in Philadelphia, and that relationship seems to be uh, really soured. Uh, he obviously is upset once out. The The talks were surrounding the Clippers, but I'm not sure where things stand and all of that. Is there a possibility that that still becomes uh, a deal that gets done, or does the trade from yesterday now open up other possibilities for a place for Harden? I think maybe Miami could convince themselves to get into the Harden business, but if they weren't willing to give up enough to get Damian Lillard, I don't know why they would view Harden, who doesn't necessarily fit their play style as well, has sort of wilted in the playoffs on numerous occasions. He's heading into free agency as well. I don't know why they'd be able to talk themselves into that. I think, if anything, this trade makes it arguably more likely that Harden does not get moved, just because if Drew Holiday's floating around out there, and I'm the L.A. Clippers, I prefer to go after Drew Holiday rather than James Harden based off the needs of my team. And so if Drew Holiday, let's just say the Clippers get into that business, or maybe they're waiting to see what other sort of playmaker options open up if Drew is staying in Portland to start the regular season, that's going to create more of a holding pattern with Harden. And I think, I think still, even after this trade, when you look at other teams that might have been on, on the margins involved, maybe a New Orleans or a Toronto, I wouldn't expect those teams to pivot into the James Harden business. And so I don't know that much has changed. With him, maybe it opens up another suit, potential suitor in Miami. But at this point, I would be pretty shocked if he doesn't begin the regular season in Philadelphia.
Dan Favale, Bleacher Report here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I already touched on this here with the Bucks as the odds-on favorites to win now at plus 360, Celtics plus 500, the Suns at plus 550, the Nuggets plus 650, the Lakers 12 to 1, the Warriors 17 to 1. We haven't quite started camps yet, but we'll be getting to that here soon. So for you, what team or teams are now really intriguing to you that have your attention now? Uh, just a journey off from where the teams that we were just speaking about, I am incredibly fascinated by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, they are a team, they added really functional shooting in Max Struess. They have a rotation, I think, when you factor in Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert, that you go seven pretty, really good, effective players deep. And if you get something out of George Niang or maybe Ricky Rubio comes back or Dean Wade kind of factors into the fold, um, now you're all of a sudden eight deep. And it feels like, People are not, to me, accounting for, yes, the Cavs did not look great in the playoff series against the Knicks. Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are not done getting better. And so you factor in that upward mobility and then just sort of what else has happened in the East, the James Harden situation in Philly, Miami missing out on Dame. Even the Celtics, they're another fascinating team, really just recalibrating their roster, losing playmaking in Marcus Smart, forfeiting defensive versatility to really lean into a dual big setup with, a, with an injury-prone guy in Kristaps who's coming off a career year, but he's always sort of been all over the place when it comes to growth. Um, the Cavs, I think, could be flying under the radar as, like, are they a top-five contender in the league? I think they certainly have a case as, well, if it's not Milwaukee in the East, why aren't we picking Cleveland? And so I am just incredibly intrigued by the Cavs and how they open the season and just how they fare throughout the entire year. Dan, it's always great talking with you. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll be doing it again uh, soon. Most definitely. Thank you for having me, as always. Take care. Once again, he is Dan Favale of Bleacher Report. Always uh, always enlightening to listen to him talk about basketball, break it all down, and I feel smarter for having talked with him. Uh, we will turn the attention to you, though, if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060 is the number if you have an opinion on the move about the Suns uh, trading DeAndre Ayton as part of the three-team trade from yesterday. 602-260-1060 will also dive into the Arizona Cardinals as they're prepping for their first NFC West showdown with the 49ers on Sunday. We'll have some takeaways from Jonathan Gannon as well as Josh Dobbs. It is the extra point. We'll rejoin here with Bob Kemp right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports on this Thursday, September 28th. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll be back after this. Hey football fans, this is The Rooster. Join me all day Sunday as No Huddle will be broadcasting live and giving away prizes from Upper Crust Pizza located in Phoenix on the southeast corner of Cave Creek Road and the 101. here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Once again, thanks to Dan Favale of Bleacher Report taking his time uh, talking about the three-team trade in the NBA yesterday that saw DeAndre Ayton become a Portland Trailblazer. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic now becoming a Phoenix Sun. If you missed any of that, you can always podcast 
podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. As promised, though, we're taking some phone calls in this segment. 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline with Monroe in Glendale. Monroe, what's on your mind today? Hello, Kayla. Hello, Monroe. Uh, I assume Bob is in the background. He is. I, I'm uh, here. I'm always, in, I'm always in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have serious, you know, mixed emotions about this Andre Aiden deal. Uh, on one hand, I'm glad he's not here because I do think he got a raw deal. On the other hand, I think there are three coaches in the NBA that actually know how to maximize his overall skill set. One was fired from here. The other one has Jokic. And the third one's in San Antonio. And I, I, don't, I don't think there is another coach in the NBA who could look at what he does really well, look at areas where he could do better, and maximize it. And so I just don't think that uh, overall, I hope, I hope to God I'm wrong, but I just don't think that overall, in the long run, he will be successful because the NBA don't, he's like, he's like 35 years too late for his skill set. I agree with that uh, uh, in a lot of ways. In fact, most ways. I'm, you know, we have no idea. And after doing some Portland media yesterday, I don't think they have any idea either. What's his cast of characters and teammates going to look like when we actually get to the regular season? So I don't even, I don't even think they really know what their backcourt situation is uh, heading into, you know, we're a month before the season starts. And, you know, I don't think they have any playoff aspirations at this point. Uh, or they uh, you know, would have tried to figure out something with Lillard. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the cast of characters there is highly unknown. Yeah, and it looks like their main objective was really to move Lillard in any way that they could. Uh, Correct. And in yes. terms of the Suns, I, I cannot believe that this is like, I don't even know who these folks are now. I mean, I know the players. But I don't recognize what kind of team this is anymore. And I would not have thought that three years ago. It never would have occurred to me that in the next, in three years from now, this team will be a, is it fair to say a dumpster fire? <laughs> Maybe not. Well, the, the wedding market thinks they're one of the top two or three teams, depending on which market you do your business in. So we'll see. Kayla, you know, I pretty much have expressed my opinion. I think the Suns are, pertinent. I think they're kind of a mess, quite frankly, because I just don't believe in their depth. And this trade yesterday, I think, actually further damages their chances to win the league. But Kayla, you've, you know, what do you think about this? You follow the NBA far more than I do, except for the playoffs. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, certainly I'm a little nervous about Nurkic being the the center that they're going to be counting on. And Dan Favale there did bring up Drew Eubanks. So I'm just curious to see how much run and tandem that those two are going to have. I wouldn't go so far as to say a dumpster fire. I, I'd like to see it kind of unfold and play out. But depth is certainly something of uh, great concern to me as well, because you're really obviously top heavy. And you saw that with all the minimum contracts that they ended up getting. And now they they have major decisions to make as to who they're even going to have on the 15-man man roster there. Um, 
I want I want to give it time. I want to see how it's all going to unfold. Um, so I don't want to say I, I, I'm that's too strong for me to call it a dumpster fire. Yeah. Okay. I, I can accept that, but the coach is a defensive coach, and they don't have any meaningful defensive players on this team. They have guys who <laughs> play at it. They have guys who have gotten better, but at the end of the day, their goal would be to run up the score. And at some point, you have to be able to stop somebody, even if it's just at the right moment in the game. And I, and I just don't see it. They, they could win a lot of games because they score a lot of points, but at the end of the day, I, I just I don't see it. And it, it saddens me, to be honest with you. So that's really all I, I, I got. Yeah, I think I have a similar opinion to you on that. You know, I think they're going to win a ton of regular season games and then even the, the parade route, which people are already scheduling for the Suns when they win the championship, will get even larger and longer at that point. But, you know, if you win a bunch of games in the regular season, like the Suns even proved two years ago, it doesn't mean squat in the postseason. Monroe, I have a question for you here uh, in return in regards to what you were saying about, you know, not recognizing this team and, you know, pointing out the fact that there's only one player remaining from the 2021 NBA Finals team. Is some of that saddening to you because those players were homegrown players? So you were watching them develop and you thought that this team was going to be around for some time, mixing and matching some pieces here and there to kind of continue that youthful build. Now it's just Devin Booker as being part of that anchor. Is that kind of where you're coming from? No, I don't really. I don't. I hadn't thought about it being homegrown more than I thought about. There seemed to be some method to the madness. Some of the players that were brought in, it tended to make sense to me, and I actually saw hope, especially when they got Chris Paula. I saw hope. Now I just think the owner is playing fantasy basketball. He's just getting names of notable players, generally offensive players, who in their own right are really good. But when you put them together, do you actually have a method to your madness? Do you actually have a strategy that you're going after? That even if I don't think it's going to work, if I could just see it, I can't even see it. So that's really what I mean. I don't... I don't really care in this day of free agency and stuff. I think we kind of got to move away from homegrown. Uh, it's good if you could do it, but I don't know very many teams that completely do it. Um, and then you throw in load management on top of that, and that just really messes up everything. So I don't. I just don't see what they're doing with this construction of this team. One other thing that I will say on that, I guess this is where the defensive philosophy of Frank Vogel, he's going to be showing off. You know, he he talked, I remember him talking a lot about in his opening press conference, just his his scheme and how much he believes in his scheme. So if the scheme defensively, you can have the players be in place to execute said scheme, maybe that overcomes some of this, the individual um defensive skills that are lacking a little bit, like kind of like you're talking about? Yeah, well, okay, so most players in the NBA today don't have individual defender skills. They do schemes all the time. The problem is desire, right? It's really how do you see yourself as a contributor? How do you see yourself? 
are you willing to make the the necessary plays? Are you willing to 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 stick your nose in and grind it out? Are you willing to do those kinds of things so the scheme actually works? Bob says it all the time. It doesn't matter if the players don't play, right? They they gotta want to play, and I don't see these guys as being fully engaged in playing defense. I just don't. It could be a great scheme. I hope it works, but I just don't see it. Thanks, Monroe, for the time and conversation. As always, 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. I will say one thing about what Monroe is there talking about and get your opinion on it, Bob, in terms of the buy-in to want to play uh, defensively. For me, looking at it here, some of these players, like a Kevin Durant, you're on the the you're ending your career. Devin Booker's wanting a championship. So if this team is being put put together, how are you not wanting to buy in? How are you not wanting to go that extra effort and mile? I get it that in the regular season, the 82-game schedule, maybe we won't see all sorts of effort night in and night out, but I'm talking about just the overall want to. I don't understand how that's not something that's inherently uh, what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. We'll get into that a little bit more on the other side of the break. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. up hour number one right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. It's September 28th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll get into some Arizona Cardinals discussion in hour number two in addition to the start of the Diamondbacks getting their uh, series with the White Sox. Uh, concluded uh, in uh, hour number two as well. But continuing our conversation that we were having about the Phoenix Suns and just kind of an overall philosophy question that I had, wondering here what you make of it, that when you're at certain points in your career and maybe you have been a player that historically likes to play offense more than defense and and you don't kind of go all in on it, but when you want a championship and it's being told to you the little things that you have to do, the little changes that you have to make, at some point, if that is enough of what you want, how is there not that buy-in from you to go the extra mile to, to put in those efforts? Well, I think it's different depending on some of the players we're talking about. You know, the Durant thing, you know, clearly when he was you know, healthy and younger uh, and not had the injuries that he's had the last three or four seasons now, he was an elite defender. In fact, many times over the years, especially in his Golden State days, I went out of my way to point out how I don't think he was recognized enough because he was so good on defense. And now I think he wants to play defense, but I think that his skill set and his body is kind of depriving him from being really more than maybe an above average at best defender. The Booker thing, I just this drives me crazy on a regular basis. He's not a good defender, but whenever he makes a good defensive play, whoever's doing the game 
seems to point out that he made a great defensive player uh, play, and then a lot of the general public and unfortunately some of the media then decides that he's a good defender all of a sudden, but he's not. And if you've not been a good defender through the first, what, five years of your career or however long he's been in the league, that's probably not going to change. And they've got a defensive-minded coach, no question. Frank Vogel's in his heyday, a defensive guru type of guy. But if you don't have guys that either A, have a history of playing defense, or uh, B, are really physically capable of playing defense, does that matter? that you have a defensive-oriented coach. I'm really curious to see how this is all going to unfold, obviously, with uh, Nurkic now coming coming over and how all of the, all of these rotations are going to unfold and if there is going to be some semblance of, you know, kind of what Monroe was talking about, that there was a method to the madness. So is there going to be a method kind of unfolding for what the rotations are going to look like and how this team is going to kind of gel together to be a team? Because maybe he does have a point here that, so far, it's uh, a, a lot of players here who have had very much individual success. They are individually recognized. So now how is it going to fit? How is it going to come together to have that chemistry on the court? And to who's going to kind of maybe sacrifice something one game uh, and the other person is going to have more of the ball, etc.? How is that all going to look and come together? My guess is that you're gonna not gonna know uh, for a large chunk of the, I mean, a really large chunk of the 82 game regular season schedule, because I think they're gonna have a lot of wins. They're gonna have you know, 55 wins or whatever, because they're just gonna outscore teams in the regular season, and I'm really not just with the Suns, but I think most teams um, are playing with their rotations and really sometimes it's dependent on who you play in a certain playoff series, what your rotation is. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a set rotation on very many teams, and there certainly has not been historically on very many teams just based on what we see in the regular season. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up on the other side of the break. We'll go back to yesterday with the Diamondbacks getting a victory. Continue to update on what's happening as the Diamondbacks uh, continue their series with the White Sox. We'll get into some Arizona Cardinals discussion Thursday night football. And, of course, we'll answer the poll questions and your calls as well at 1115-602-260-1060 is the number. Hour number two on the other side.